The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. New records for stocks, new optimism for the country as the jobs report easily tops expectations and Pfizer reports incredible news for its COVID pill. The investment committee now debating how far this rally can go. We'll also hear momentarily from strategist Tom Lee, who called this record run. Joining me for the hour today, Bryn Talkington, Richard Saperstein, Jim Labenthal, and Pete Nigerian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets. We have new highs across the board today. There you go. The Dow above 36,000. The S&P 500 above 4,700. The Nasdaq above 16,000 for the first time ever. And what a move on the 10-year. Lower for the yield. 146 on the back of that news we got. And take a look at those four stocks at the bottom of your screen today. They are some of the day's biggest movers. They are in our wheelhouse today. Our committee owns them. You're going to get cameos today from Kerry Firestone, Stephanie Link, and Josh Brown to talk about each of those stocks and what they are doing right now. We're very excited about that. Farmer Jim, I'm going to start with you. Mr. All In, you get the first word because you've been the most right. Scott, Judge, you honor me, and I appreciate your coming to me on a day where I just feel great, and I've I've felt great all week. I realize the market is at all-time highs, but when you look underneath the index and you look at the reopening trades in particular, they still have a long way to go. We are just starting leg 2.0 of the reopening trade. That's why you see the airlines on fire. That's why you see the casinos on fire, the hotels, cruise lines. And they're not at their all-time highs. This is where the money is going to go. This Pfizer news, very similar to the Merck news from about a month ago, it really is going to help us as a nation and globe put the pandemic behind us. Yes, the virus will be with us, but it is going to be manageable and controllable. And that means people are going to come out. They're going to start traveling. They're going to start having fun. Businesses are going to start traveling again, not all at once, but the stock market is anticipating it. Look at that Wynn Resorts today. Look at Alaska Airlines, even my you know problem child Boeing. These things are ripping on the idea that the economy is reopening. Uh, I'm not saying, by the way, that FANG stocks aren't going to do well. I think they'll do fine. But my money is tilted very much towards the reopening slash value slash cyclical trades. Pete Nigerian, I ask you quite simply, and I almost hesitate to do it this way, but is this the perfect environment for stocks? You have a strong economy. You've got great COVID news. You've got wages in line. You've got rates actually falling. You've got some of the commodity prices that were up the most showing signs of peaking. You have a well-telegraphed taper. 
What's there to complain about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot of room for complaints, Scott. I totally agree with you. I mean, the environment is great. Volatility is very low. The volumes are absolutely off the charts. We traded over 50 million contracts yesterday in the options world, which is a huge number. I mean, we've been averaging about 45 million over the last week or so, but 50 plus million, that's a big number. And then you look across, like you just were saying, Scott, I mean, just about everything is lining up the way we need it to be lining up in terms of how things can go the last couple of months of this year. And it looks very, very strong, I think, in a lot of different cases. And Jim brings up the financials. The financials are actually hanging in there pretty well today, which is surprising when I look over at the 10-year and how it's kind of drifted a little bit lower and a little bit lower, well underneath 1.5. And that's a little bit concerning. And yet the financials are not seeing a lot of the ramifications of that move to the downside. So I think it's really interesting. Jim brings it up, but I'm looking at cruise ships. I'm looking at airlines. I'm looking at all those reopening trades, and they are on fire. They have lots of room left. That doesn't mean everything that's going up today has a lot more room to the upside. And, you know, that's always a tough thing to predict. But I will say this. In the options world, I am seeing put protection because volatility is very low, and I'm also seeing – some some huge upside call buying today, like in the spiders, because people are looking at this when they're looking at the uh, the situation with volatility very low. It gives them an opportunity to own upside, looking for upside. And I think, in my opinion, my interpretation is protection to the downside. Very, very interesting markets that we're in today. So, Bryn, it's not like you've been negative, but I don't think anybody on the show has been as positive as Farmer Jim has been. I'm wondering how you view the landscape today and whether things have now fallen into place for a pretty decent, if not sizable, move over the next few months. Yeah, well, I mean, it is feeling reminiscent of, you know, a Goldilocks type economy or that phrase that that we've used in the past. I think it's really important to understand that, you know, the base rate of rates matters and where everyone, you know, got so hyper about the Fed taper and raising rates, well, the base rate matters. And I think the market's starting to digest that. I also think when, you know, someone with such credibility, like Dr. Gottlieb comes out and says, you know, we think in the U.S. at least the pandemic is over, that that just carries in spades. And so I think it's a really exciting time. If as a collective, from a sentiment perspective, people can start to just like settle down and move on and understand that this is gonna be with us, but, we can have a really good economy. And so, you know, I really still think that the secular growth markets are going to be certain spots of tech, like you saw NVIDIA yesterday and today, which is kind of bananas the last two days, and then energy, right? Because as we continue to reopen and as international travels continues, you can't run a plane on solar. You got to use diesel fuel. And so I think that, you know, energy and technology, if I had to barbell you know, my portfolio is still where I have the highest, highest confidence, you know, over the short term and the longer term to really continue to generate really strong returns. All right. My man, Rich Saperstein, one of this country's top financial advisors, according to Barron's and other publications. You're high up on that list. So what is your advice today? It's not like you've been bouncing off the walls bullish, maybe anything <laughs> but. But now I wonder how you're feeling. What are you telling your clients? Well, we remain fully invested in equities, and that is against the backdrop where QE has raised the prices of every asset class out there. Uh, The market in the last month has shook off uh, a weak GDP print, uh, rising inflation numbers, supply chain risk, China tensions, you name it, and the announcement of tapering, because the market is looking forward into the future where we're going to have strong earnings, rising cash flows, 
We're going to have a CapEx renaissance next year. And more importantly, we're going to look for a transition from uh, a purchases economy to a service-based economy, meaning, Scott, you already went out and bought your cast iron pan, your wok, your gas grill, and now you're going to start going out to dinner more. So we think there's going to be a rebirth in the economy, and we're right in front of a secular growth period. In terms of your, your comment on uh, the 10-year moving lower, I think it's misguided because the, the, the bond market is basically looking at that strong jobs report and saying the Fed will be more aggressive in the tapering, and I just don't think so. So we see the tapering running for $15 billion a month, no change in that. And uh, no t- tightening until 2023. Yeah, you um, you're making a ton of moves that are so interesting, and we're going to get to those a little bit later. So I don't want to get into that now. And as I mentioned at the very top of the program, we're going to bring in Tom Lee, who has called this everything rally on this very program. You're going to hear from him in just a second. Before we do that, though, let me get down to Kayla Tausche. She has a news alert regarding Fed Chair Powell. And a certain visit he made to uh, 1600 Pennsylvania (laughs) Avenue, where it looks like you are standing. Hey, Scott. Yes, we've learned from a source familiar with the matter that President Biden has not yet made a decision regarding the chair of the Federal Reserve and some of the other open seats on the Board of Governors. This despite the fact that both Chair Powell and Fed Governor Lael Brainerd visited personally with the president this week in the West Wing, according to that source familiar with the matter. Of course, President Biden is weighing advice from two competing factions here. On the one hand, you have Treasury Secretary Yellen, who for months has been advising Biden to reappoint Powell to that job, to re-nominate him, to keep the course in the markets, and that he essentially has done a good job uh, with the mandates of the Fed uh, under his tenure. On the other hand, you have progressives who have been pushing for a personnel change. They say personnel is policy, and they want to see someone like Governor Brainerd take the chair role instead. Biden's meetings this week send two signals to the market. On the one hand, it signals that he wants to make this decision himself after meeting with both individuals personally. But it also signals, Scott, that either of these contenders uh, is a known entity to the market, that this is not going to be uh, a curveball thrown to the market uh, as he makes some of these decisions. Fed watchers like David Wessel at Brookings have suggested that perhaps uh, the operating assumption by many policymakers is that Powell will be re-nominated to chair the Fed, while Brainerd could be offered a role leading bank regulation, essentially offering an olive branch to both of those factions that I discussed. President Biden has only said that he would make the decision fairly quickly. But as of today, Scott, that decision has not been made. We'll follow Back the news. You. All right, Kayla, thank you so much. That's Kayla Tausche down at the White House, of course. Now let's bring in Tom Lee. He is managing partner and head of research at Fundstrat, the man who called the so-called everything rally. Tom, welcome back. Things are falling into place pretty nicely for you. Uh, yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like markets are, are positioned in to rally to your end, I, I think investors have to be aware that the bond market this week really started to deliver signals that are strengthening this rally. I think that's why there's been this improved resilience. The 10-year falling, what, what's the message there, do you think? Because it's a surprise to many, I think, for obvious reasons. That's right. Uh, you know, the, the 10-year yield falling is a dovish development because over the past eight weeks, the bond market was starting to fight the Fed view as you know, the bond market was starting to push for rates, you know, two hikes or three hikes in 2022, and then uh, 
a tapering that was going to was causing pressure upwards on on yields. And I think the weak GDP print, uh, you know, the productivity miss, and then you know this this pill from Pfizer are really starting to take away that inflationary pressure. And it, it now looks like the bond market's coming to the Fed's view, which is great news because that means that if bonds, if yields are falling and there's less inflation fears, equities have room to run. Tom, let me ask you this. Let me try and sort of get in, inside the mind of Tom Lee, bring our viewers inside there as well, if I could. What led you to believe that stocks could hit 4,800 on the S&P by the end of this year? What enabled you to get so bullish when you did that you thought we could get that so-called everything rally that seems to be happening as we speak? Uh, I mean, it's, it's anchored on four things. Um, one was, you know, our continued belief that S&P profit margins would surprise because of what we call the unkillability. You know, businesses survived the worst shutdown in seven generations. And when we saw this in tech and discretionary, margins really rose. And that's what's happening. We think S&P earnings next year could be 230, 240 versus 220 consensus. The second is we know there's tons of pent up demand and that if COVID was alleviating, that would start to be unleashed. And we're seeing that. The third is relative value because, you know, bonds are expensive. You're paying 64 times earnings to get a tenure, 25 times to get high yield, or you can pay 18 times for equity. So I think equities are still cheap. And the fourth is just from a general positioning, many of our clients, not most, but many are sitting on very uncomfortable cash positions. And they've been waiting for that 10% pullback. Not, not that we've been calling for it, but they've all had that as a consensus view, thinking the Fed was going to trigger it. And now that it doesn't look like it's happening, that money gets put to work. Well, I mean, look, I, I always try and play devil's advocate with you. Uh, and admittedly, I'm running out of material, to be frank. However, if I say to you, that all sounds great, I believe the story that you tell, and, and so do people who are watching, but earnings growth is, is going to slow, and the Fed is going to raise rates. And not only is it going to raise rates, Tom, it's going to raise rates earlier than we thought, not even three, four months ago, and it's going to raise rates sooner and more rapidly, uh, more consecutively than we expected as well just a short time ago. Isn't that going to depress the market, depress multiples in any way? Uh Yes, Scott, that's correct. Uh, you know, we have to be realistic. The Fed remains the most powerful entity in the world when it comes to financial markets. And a tightening cycle ultimately triggers mark equity volatility. So you're absolutely right. If the Fed is indeed going to be tightening next year, we should expect a lot of turbulence because people are going to be fearful. But the Fed futures market in the past week have shown the odds of a hike are actually decreasing. So I think the supply chain glitch is easing. The Fed's argument that monetary policy can't fix the labor tightness because it's not about an overheated economy. I think if the market starts to believe it, the actual window for hikes is getting pushed out again into 2023. Are, are, we, are we just being too simplistic in saying it, it literally is an everything rally, Tom, that people should buy um, every major sector for lack of more specificity on that? Or do you really have to be more specific? Do you like certain areas uh, other than, than, than other ones? Uh, well, I think where strength is beginning to really show is in FANG. Um, you know, so FANG is our top, top two of the three sectors we'd want to own. And I think they are starting to show a lot of resilience because they derated this year and they've had great numbers. But I do think that today's response 
to the Pfizer news shows that cyclicals, especially epicenter stocks like travel, leisure, energy, are super sensitive to the market's view about COVID. And as that's getting better, we know that people don't own enough of these. And so I think you want to be epicenter and fang. Let's get the committee involved and we'll do it quick because I want to move on. But I, I do want to get their their view. Bryn, you agree with Tom Lee? Yeah, well, I mean, kudos to Tom Lee. He's always been a, a force here of comfort, you know, since this all started. Um, I do have a quick question. You know, you talk about the epicenter names. You know, I, I obviously like energy. I think it's been structurally underinvested in. And so, therefore, we'll have some secular tailwinds. I'd love to get your thoughts about energy, you know, short and midterm from a portfolio perspective. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I mean, to me, the best analogy is energy look like the home builders uh, post GFC. Uh, you've got a structural shortfall of energy pro- oil production being set up that will take multiple years to fix. That's price support for oil above 80. You know, even you know, we've done some work, you know, you have to get to 150 to $200 oil to really start to pinch the wallet. And then energy stocks are still cheap to oil, mainly because people have avoided them from ESG, an ESG perspective. But their performance impact has been so great uh, people can't ignore it. And then if it turns out like home builders, you know, home builders were a secular trade for nine years. And I think there's a chance energy is a five year, six year secular trade. Tom, before I let you go, are you still comfortable with 4,800, your year end target for S&P? Um, we're entering the six weeks that matter the most, you know, and then people will start talking about Santa Claus rally. So I think 4,800 is maybe the minimum. I think that I think 5,000 is more of a early 2023 or 2022, but I think easily 4,800 is achievable. You know, I mean, I'd say seasonals tell us it's five or 6% upside from here. Boy, 5,000 in early 22. We'll see. I appreciate it as always, Tom. I know our viewers do as well. It's good to see you. Thanks for jumping on with us. Yeah, thanks, Scott. All right, that's Tom Lee uh, joining us. It's not all good uh, today. Peloton shares that are a 17 month low following that big earnings miss. Let's bring in Carrie Firestone now. She joins us on the phone. You, you know she owns the stock. Um, Carrie, you bought Peloton on March 26th of this year. Mm-hmm. It's down more than 40% since. What are you doing now? Hi, Scott. Well, obviously not a call that we relish. Uh, stocks obviously disappointed investors, and it's disappointed us, and our numbers have come down along with everyone else. Uh, that said, we're still in the very early days of connected fitness. And this being a company that everybody recognizes, they've seen it on TV or they've seen, seen one or they own one, everyone has an opinion on it. And everyone, of course, sees that the, the company disappointed and lots of sale orders in there. I mean, this is probably half of all shares are going to trade um, uh, around this. And a couple of points I would just like to make that I think are very significant. There are 90 million gym members in Peloton's markets. They only have 2.5 million subs. The stock is trading today where it traded in June of 2020 when they had 1 million subs. They have a mid-single-digit share of the installed base of stationary bikes, 1% or less share of treadmills. And we think that these trends, it's still early adoption in this. And remember, People are going back to work, but they're still working partially from home. Work has changed to the extent that people are not going to offices and not going as much to where they used to be at a fitness location. They're going to be exercising more in their homes. So, you know, I I don't want to excuse this. This is disappointing on execution. They've had chip problems. 
there are supply chain issues. They can't really come up with the guidance that we need. But the stock right now trades at a level well below where it was, as I said, you know, it, it early time in the pandemic. And the way we model it, you, you can say that 7 million subs in 2025, we had a $9 million number, and each sub pays $500 a year, you know, more or less. That's $3.5 billion, all of which are mostly as profit. And you discount that back to the present, and that's $7 per share times a 22 multiple or 20 multiple. You get $140 to $160 stock. It's at $57 a share now. Well, I just wonder if if you, Carrie, and, and other bulls in this name need to, you know, come to grips with the fact that this company may never see growth rates the likes of which it did during the pandemic. That may be a fact. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, but, of course. But, I'm not just missing. Oh, go on. But, but how can you be that bullish on a stock if you're even partially admitting that that might be true? This might have been the ultimate moment in time stock. Maybe it's not, but it might be. Um, well, you know, that, that's a, a point that one can always make about a company that has sort of a, a, an enormous rise in valuation and then comes down to earth somewhat. I mean, if we think about stocks that in the past have had these meteoric uh, rises and then falls, Chipotle would be one, Lululemon would be one, companies trip. And that doesn't mean it's the end. It means they regroup and they can get back on track. Uh, I don't. Uh, no, but, the, but, yeah. but let me just yeah. stop. Let me just jump in one second. I mean, you're, you're mentioning stories where, you know, yes, they trip on a specific issue. The fundamental landscape of their businesses weren't necessarily altered like this one might. And I, I keep using the word may and might trying to couch it right. because obviously we, we don't know. But at this point, it's a show me story that I'm wrong because yeah. it is a different environment. We just yeah. had Dr. Gottlieb come on CNBC and say the pandemic as we know it is over. Few stocks benefited from the pandemic or during the pandemic as much as this one did. That's very true. But connected fitness as a, a um, industry, as a sub industry, did not exist. They're all types of digital platforms that didn't exist until COVID or slightly before COVID. And that means the landscape has changed, changed forever. Workplace, work life has changed forever. And this is one of the leading uh, entities in that new field. I, I agree with you that that the growth from COVID was astronomical. And that was true of, you know, DoorDash as an example. It doesn't mean it's the end of a business. It's the end of a sector. It means that it's a different process to grow. And I think they're going to continue to grow and lead a field. So what you're saying is correct. That growth was tremendous, and it won't be repeated unless there's another pandemic in that same format. It doesn't, however, mean that you can't value a business that that will grow and is growing, and they had a misstep. But I I would just dispute that it's it's not the end of this type of new industry. I think it's it's the beginning, and they had a huge acceleration because of COVID. You just, you just might have to put a new multiple on what the real growth rate is, is going to be yeah. now, and it doesn't deserve the premium that it, it was getting. We shall see. Look, it's important that our viewers heard from you today. Um, I sincerely appreciate you coming on, Carrie. I know it's a difficult day when your stock gets creamed, 
Uh, exactly. But you stand up <laughs> for doing you. it. I appreciate it. That's Carrie Firestone. All right. So it's not all uh, rainbows and butterflies for Carrie uh, today, but the sun is shining, so to speak, on Stephanie Link because Expedia is surging today after beating estimates. Steph joins us now to weigh in. All right. So it's a great call you had. It's up nearly 15 percent today. Congrats. Uh, now what? Thanks. Oh, I'm going to hold on. I think this story has legs. First and foremost, the quarter was so much better than expected on a number of fronts. Revenues and EBITDA in particular. EBITDA is now up positive for the last two quarters. But the margins, the margins accelerated 19 points sequentially and beat expectations by 450 basis points. And this is really just block and tackling. Room night stays helped. ADR's pricing helped, and then cost-cutting helped. And this is the definition of operating leverage. I talk about it all the time. Demand comes back, you got great margins and good cost controls, and this is what happens. They also are gaining share in Verbo, and it's important that they're gaining share because they're spending an enormous amount of money on this, and they're gaining share particularly in the U.S., which is pretty encouraging. But I think the real reason the stock is up, Scott, is really the commentary. Bookings accelerated from September to October. October is only 2% below 2019 levels. So travel is essentially back, if you will. All regions saw improvement, all products saw Im- improvement, and travel type. So, and, and, and the interesting thing is their summer 22 bookings are higher than summer 21 bookings. So they've got great visibility. And I think the reason I want to stay on board is because I think this company, as demand comes back and the cost controls continue, they can generate $3 billion in EBITDA by 2023. I would not be surprised to see $3 billion in EBITDA in 2022. Yeah. But... Let's just wait and keep the expectations on the lower side. I, I want to give people context too, Steph, of, of when you actually did these transactions. You bought a small uh, bit of stock in the summer of 2020, you know, a tough, a tough moment to, to jump into some of these names. Um, you added to it in July, and then you added even more in September, early September. And I'm assuming this last month or two months ago uh, at around 142. Is that right for the context for people? Yeah, that's that's right. And and that's when a lot of CEOs got on uh, CNBC and said that demand was starting to pick up. So I was just listening. This was like Kayak and Expedia and Booking Holdings. And so I just kind of thought, well, if they're saying this, these these stocks are much too low because the numbers are probably much too low. Steph, I appreciate it. Congrats. Enjoy the day. I know you will. Have a good weekend. We'll see you back next week. That's Thank Stephanie you, Scott. Lane. Have a good, Le- week. Have right. a good you- weekend. Thank you so much. Leslie Picker now has a market flash on another stock that is moving. Hi, Les. Hey, Scott. Yeah, Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, shares are higher today on a Citron Research report. And if you're like me thinking this is a short seller report, it is not. Citron is very bullish on Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, they say that the company should have a price target of 50 to 70, largely due to this accelerated buyback that they announced. Uh, of course, this is a stock that's really been on a tear this week. Some of it had to do actually with short interest, uh, a short squeeze earlier in the week, largely related to some other moves. Um, but here, Citron Research is saying that they kind of analogize this company to what they saw with RH, formerly known as Restoration Hardware three years ago when they accelerated their buyback program, uh, basically saying, according to Citron Research, that this company is for sale and the board knows it as a result of, uh, of the buyout, uh, I'm sorry, the share repurchases that they're doing. Uh, so very interesting move here. You can see now shares up now almost 8% 
largely on this report. Back over to you. Everybody wants a little RH. I'm looking at I'm, I say that because I with a smile because I'm looking at our <laughs> house because we talked about the IPO yesterday and that stock's doing nothing we today. Did, we yeah. did. So everybody wants a piece of yeah. the RH. All right. Les, thanks. That's Leslie Picker. We do have more double digit stock moves ahead. Josh Brown, he will join us live. Live Nation and Shake Shack are surging after their earnings. Plus, Rich Saperstein is making several major moves in his portfolio. We'll give you the details when halftime comes right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The Cleveland Browns are saying goodbye to star wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. They're negotiating to release Beckham after he was told to skip practice for two days. Tensions between Beckham and the Browns had been growing and seemed to hit a breaking point after Beckham's father posted a video highlighting the times that the Browns quarterback did not throw to Beckham. The State Department is telling Americans to leave Ethiopia as soon as possible. This after anti-government forces threaten to march on the nation's capital. And those forces say that they will dismantle and replace the current government. On the news, Democrats are trying to get their spending bills across the finish line in the House and the battle ahead in the Senate as well. That's all tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And a story you just can't make up. A New Zealand couple may have found the world's largest potato while weeding in their garden. The spud weighs 17 pounds. The couple decided it's too special to eat, so they named him Doug. You really can't make this up. They also gave him a hat and a small cart to get around in. Doug is about six pounds bigger than the largest verified potato by the Guinness Book of World Records. Personally, I say get out the butter and the sour cream, but that's me. Scott, back to you. I was going to say, Mr. Potato Head's on line three. <laughs> right. Hasbro. He, he thought he was the only dude in town. All right. Sue, thank you. You got All right, it, Sue Scott. Herrera. All right. The investment committee, as I said, is making several moves today, led by Richard Saperstein. Man, you got a lot of stuff going on. You, you have a new mm-hmm. buy in Canadian natural resources. Why don't you tell us about that first, and then I'll let everybody know what you're buying more of. But this is a new position for you. Yes, uh, we want to increase our exposure to the oil patch. Uh, CNQ is a Canadian-based company, $50 billion market cap, 3.5% dividend yield, and they've largely passed their uh, CapEx cycle. They have long-lived assets. And the interesting thing about the company is their free cash flow is 20% of the market cap. So this extraordinary amount of cash flow, they're going to be uh, returning to shareholders uh, basically by stock buybacks, dividends, and uh, they're also going to be reducing debt. So we like the name because it's in the right industry uh, relative to what's going on with oil prices. 
And there's just a tremendous uh, amount of free cash flow that they've gone on record to uh, re uh, return to shareholders. And uh, over the last 20 years, their compound annual growth rate of the dividend has been 20% annually. So uh, we like the name for the cash flow. All right. Now, you have a couple other moves that are, are I don't know, they confuse me a little bit. You bought more Alphabet, which has hit a new high today. It's knocking on the door of two trill. And you trimmed Microsoft, which has also been trading near a new high. Why add to one at these levels and take profits in the other? Well, Microsoft just got way too big. It, it has been our largest position for years. It, it just got too big. And, you know, we had to uh, trim it down. Uh, we are overweight large cap tech um, for just a host of reasons. Um, Tom Lee mentioned some of them, but, uh, you know, the technology adoption in the post-COVID world is, has only been accelerated. And these are the leading companies uh, that, that are uh, basically participating. Collectively, they've done about $130 billion in, ca in CapEx over the last 12 months. So we should expect new innovations, new products, new markets coming out from that uh, CapEx. If you look at their free cash flows, uh, roughly 4 to 7%, that's against the market, uh, S&P, X, these uh, large cap techs, that's roughly 6.5%. So while they're trading at higher multiples of cash flow, their growth rates are double the market. Their margins are double the market. And I think every investor has to recognize that with the growth of indexing, uh, roughly 25% of all monies going into the S&P are going into large cap tech. So you really have to have an overweight in, the, in these names. Hey, why did you, um, why are you moving out of fintech? I, I noticed uh, along with selling Comcast, the parent of our parent, you, you've also sold Fiserv and Visa. You trim global payments. What's up with that? Uh, you know, it's a mystery to me because uh, when the layaway plan purchasing came into vogue about two, three months ago, it really put a, a negative view on all the names in this space, including uh, the credit card companies, uh, the payment processors. And so uh, we just wanted to lighten up on that exposure and make room for some other names that uh, we wanted to add to the portfolio. All right. All right. Uh, I appreciate you telling us about those moves. Farmer Jim, you bought more Marathon Petroleum. I bought more Marathon Petroleum, Scott. It's a constant theme that I've been saying. The market gives you opportunities because it sometimes gets it wrong. Marathon Petroleum had a fabulous earnings report. The fundamentals are clear that demand for refined products, uh, fossil fuel products, is high and growing. Uh, high dividend, buying back shares like crazy. I mean, they're going to buy back like a quarter of the market cap over the next year. This is an opportunity when the market sold it off earlier this week. I had some money left over from the trims of Microsoft. Google and tractor supply, this is where you should go. Mm. Pete, you've seen some activity, as has your brother in, in Marathon, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. John talked about it yesterday. The 20,000 of the January 67 and a half calls that were bought yesterday, they bought another 10,000 today, Scott. And previous to yesterday, they had bought 10,000 more. So there's a consistency here of seeing this paper, the option paper in Marathon Petroleum. It agrees with what 
Uh, we're hearing from Farmer Jim right now. This stock's probably a little too cheap. Stock was 60 when they started, got to 62, now 64. It's still probably too cheap and has room to the upside. All righty. Live Nation and Shake Shack are on fire right now. Josh Brown joins us next. We'll find out where he thinks the stocks can go from here, what, if anything, he is doing in those positions. We're back right there. Take a look at those moves. We'll talk about that next. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, it's a big day for our Josh Brown. Look at Live Nation and Shake Shack, two of the day's biggest winners. Josh joins us right now. Good to see you. Hey, Josh. All right. How's it going? I'm good. We're great. And, and I know you are, too. T- tell our viewers just what you're thinking about these two moves now. I mean, I feel as though they're very, very justified based on the results that, that we're seeing. So which one do you want me to talk about first? Live. Okay. Well, live is live. 17 million fans attended their shows in the third quarter of this year. Overall ticket sales for major festivals were up 10% versus 2019. Not versus the pandemic, but versus the last normal year. So live is not just like trying to get back to where they were. They were accelerating through that, selling out major tours all over the world, 500,000 tickets sold, stuff like Chris Stapleton, Harry Styles, can't get tickets. And then through mid-October, they told us they've already sold 22 million tickets for Live Nation events in 2022. Demand is stronger than ever. A million tickets sold for Coldplay, for Red Hot Chili Peppers, stuff like that. So not only are they selling more tickets, but the level at which fans are spending money when they're at the venue is up 20% versus 2019. And last thing I want to say, deferred revenue at the end of the quarter was $1.9 billion. That's backlog. That's money coming to them. That's versus $950 million at this same time in 2019. So forget the comps versus the pandemic. The comps versus 19 are extraordinary. And for that reason, I feel the move in this stock is more than justified. It's like the, the epitome of the pent-up demand trade. I don't know another oh, yeah. stock where you could literally uh, say that or see it in, in the performance or, or certainly listen to the commentary that you have. Let's move to Shaq. Um, obviously- yeah, so, 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 real quick, so real quick, I yeah. bought live in January of this year okay. in like the 70s, and that was the idea, pent-up demand in the year of 21, and here it is. Yeah. Shaq is, uh, look, Shaq, Shaq posted revenue up 49% this quarter versus the same time last year. Let's just like pause one second and think about that. In October, they had their highest ever company-operated Shaq sales day, hitting just under $3 million. This is the biggest revenue quarter in the 17-year history of Shaq. In the fourth quarter, 
They're telling us they're going to surpass a billion dollars in system-wide sales for the year, which would be the first time ever. Same shack sales up 25% year over year in Q3. And now think about 22. They're going to open 10 drive throughs They've never done that before. They're going to open 50 new shacks. It's the largest class of new stores ever. And about a quarter of those will have walk-up or drive-up windows. So they're doing all of the things they needed to do to get through the pandemic and now to capitalize on the recovery. And this was another situation. It's an anti-Peloton. This is a I'm leaving my house today uh, type of story, just like Live Nation. And both are working for the same reason. You want to give me a little something-something on Uber real quick before I let you bounce? Good, not great, but they did tell us they'll be uh, cash flow positive, 25 to $75 million in, in profit uh, for, uh, for Q4, which is just about in line with what analysts were expecting. I think analysts expected $98 million or something. So good, not great, but I'm, I'm going to stick with that, too. All right, good stuff. I appreciate you making the time for us and our viewers, Josh. We'll see you next week. Good have weekend. Have a nice weekend, everybody. All right, you too. <laughs> All right, we have more tradable action coming up next. Pete has unusual activity. He'll tell you what it is after this break. Mr. Nigerian, unusual activity. What do you have for us today? Yeah, good to see you, Scott. Yeah, I, I got to tell you something. Kraft Heinz is not a name that comes up very often with unusual option activity. Today we do, and it's got some huge size to it as well. Stock was trading just underneath 38 a share, and we suddenly started to see 17,000 calls getting bought for the November. Next Friday's expiring 38 calls. So basically buying right on top of where the stock is right now. Those calls are going from anywhere from 30 cents up to a 45 cents. The stock's been kind of planted here for a little while, Scott. If you go back to August, it's been in a very, very tight range ever since. It was in the mid-40s earlier that in May, but in the last, since August, been in a very, very tight range. Maybe it's going to bust out to the upside. The next one I got for you is an interesting one for Farmer Jim and some of the other guys, Boeing. Now, Boeing mm. at these levels, it was trading about 219. We see about 2,600. That doesn't sound like a lot, but I'll add to it. 2,600 of the calls getting bought today. That was stuck out for me, but they're going out to December, and they're going all the way to December the 255 call. Stock was trading 219. These were about a buck 20 up to about a buck 40. What makes this also a little bit interesting is the numbers just keep adding up and adding up. Last I looked, about 11,000 calls had traded in this Boeing on that same strike. As the stock's now starting to move to the upside, I think I last saw it trading about 222. So definitely some buying there. By the way, just to remind people, options don't have to get hit. In other words, the stock doesn't have to go up all the way up to 255 for these to perform. They can already start performing now. And if it continues to the upside in a very, very quick fashion, these options could already start to move in a big way to the upside. So I like what I'm seeing here. I bought those options, and I also bought the Kraft Heinz options as well. All right, good stuff. I was looking at Boeing thinking that Farmer Jim's going to be doing donuts in his tractor this weekend. These things are up, (laughs) as you said, uh, Shares of BA, Pharma Jim are up almost four and a half percent. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Petey, why they're going to those December options is because CEO Calhoun three times on the earnings call said China certification comes by the end of the year. Now, I've got a question, as you know, as to whether uh, we can really rely on his word. But, man, he was adamant that China certification comes this year. And that should be why they're buying December. So that'll be a big catalyst. All right, guys, good stuff. Check out this mystery stock. It's up 40% in a month, and Bryn Talkington is buying more ahead of its earnings next week. We'll tell you what it is next.
All right. We said uh, mystery stock. Let's reveal it. It is Coinbase. They report earnings next week. And Bryn, why are you buying more ahead of that? Yeah, well, you know, there's a few companies out there that really have this trifecta of secular growth, sentiment and financials. So I wanted to add to the name, you know, before earnings, which I'll get to in a second. But from a secular perspective, Coinbase is, has a first, first mover advantage of being the largest, obviously, exchange. I really believe that crypto is in the early days. And this summer, Coinbase just onboarded Germany and France from the licensings of being able to offer Coinbase. So it's a global phenomenon. This is just in the early days. From a sentiment standpoint, crypto right now is risk on. And I think that as more and more people adopt cryptocurrency and, and believe that this is here to stay, Coinbase is an obvious recipient of that positive sentiment. On top of that sentiment, it can be a volatile name. It's a volatile asset class. You can also sell calls against it during those times of volatility. And finally, financials. Last quarter alone, Coinbase did $2 billion in revenues and had $1.6 in net income. So if you just annualize that, they're on track. They could do $6.4 billion in net income. It's got about an $85, $86 billion market cap. The stock is cheap and it has secular growth. So I wanted to add a little bit before earnings. If you don't own it, though, I would wait till after earnings. I was just averaging into my position, and I'll probably buy more after the earnings call next week. All right. I got you. I appreciate that as we take a look at that move today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll do final trades. Going to try and hit some of the stocks hitting new highs today as well that our committee members own. We'll see in two minutes. I told you we'd try and hit some stocks hitting new highs. Rich Saperstein, there's one of them today. It's pulling back now, but it did open at a new high. That's Zoetis. Yeah, well, Zoetis makes pharmaceuticals for livestock, animals, and pets. And the companion pet segment grew 20% quarter over quarter. So with the advent of everyone leaving the, the cities to the burbs and buying pets, stock's right in the honey hole for growth. Hey, Pete, um, we talk about GM all the time you know, for obvious reasons. Farmer Jim has owned that and Josh has owned it. But Ford has just zoomed past it. I mean, in terms of recent yeah. stock performance, the stock's just ripped. It has. It's, a, it's been absolutely on fire, Scott. As a matter of fact, you look at the volumes, they've been on fire as well. It's been averaging about 140 million co- uh, shares per day. And then you look at the option side as well, absolutely off the charts. It's basically like a meme stock or a rebel stock or whatever you want to call it. And it's been very aggressive buying, and the stock just continues to press to the upside. I'm seeing options out there that are telling me this stock's ready to break through 20 in the not-too-distant future. Pete, just give me a final trade real quick before we go. Oh, sure. Um, I'll give you Jets because we're seeing all this activity in that field. Mm. I think Jets is going higher. All right. Rich? Vistra, V-S-T. Okay, Bryn? XLE. You need energy to fly Jets. All right. And the happy farmer. (laughs) The happy farmer, indeed. Uh, General Motors, because they just (laughs) launched uh, driverless robo-taxis in San Francisco via their cruise division. That's a big, big deal. It's actually happening right now. That's yeah. why the stock's rallying. Easy on those donuts this weekend on the tractor, all right? Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> you have a good one. All right. I, I said we yes, started sir. the show. Uh, it was so much fun today. Uh, records across the board uh, for stocks. And the 10-year note is not moving modest, mar- uh, markedly higher either on the jobs report that COVID news. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.